In the second part of our interview, Robert DeWarren chronicles his extraordinary experiences beginning with his studies with the Royal Ballet School and taking us up through his experience as the artistic director of the National Ballet of Iran, later becoming founder of Iran's National Folklore Organization. This interview is full of stories which he tells about his experiences with the great, the well-known, the famous, and the infamous. It's extraordinary. So hang on. Here come the interview. And then I had to go to Royal Ballet School, which was in Baron's Court. And it was a building which they rented. It was a Theosophic Society, which on the first floor had a studio like four times the size of the opera stage, really big. The whole wow. company was there. But for the school, I did class with the school, not with the company yet. And then I did class with the opera ballet, ballet master uh, Harold Turner, who had been a marvelous principal dancer in the Royal Ballet, in Sadler's Wells Ballet, as it was called then. And then I did all the classes and everything, and I had Harold Turner and... Errol Addison, all, they were all really male dancers, which was very good for me, because at the other school they were all female teachers, you know. I really had to work really hard, and we had a lot of competition within the boys. They were mm -hmm. all, they'd been dancing at least five years longer than I had, yes. you know, or more. And so it was quite tough, but I was very glad. And then uh, Mr. Turner said, well, you're going to come into the company of the opera ballet, and then you'll get to dance things in the operas where there are ballets. And I said, okay, great. And so I went to Covent Garden then, and I didn't do class because the opera ballet couldn't have classes there. There was a small studio in those days, which was perhaps you know, sort of three times, a bit bigger than this room with mirrors and everything. And he agreed to give me private lessons in the evenings I danced in the operas or in the evenings that, that he was there and I didn't have to dance. He could still give me private lessons. So British, I told the British council, they said, we'll pay for the private lessons. And they were five guineas a class, you uh -huh. know. But they paid for them, and so I was really pleased. And then I would still go to Royal Ballet and do glasses with them, and then with the Opera Ballet. And then we had to go on tour with the Royal Ballet, and I would bring Jacqueline with me. And he gave me the leading role in a new production of Aida, in which a principal couple in the triumphant scene danced sort of Egyptian, but with technique with Leontine Price's Aida, mm -hmm. and John Vickers was Rad Radamiz. He was the best-known tenor at the time at the Royal Opera. And then the, the triumphant scene was a choreographer and director of the production from Buenos Aires Opera House, Margarita Wallmann. She was originally from the Vienna Opera, but they'd taken her to set up Aida in the Opera House in, in Buenos Aires, and then they did it at the Royal Opera in Covent Garden. And it was amazing, you know, to be amongst those people. And in fact, as a student, when I was able to go and there was a dress rehearsal of the opera, Jacqueline and I would creep in and sit at the back because we wanted to see Maria Callas and all these famous singers. And, and one day I remember Maria Callas looked down and she always saw us there. And then one day she said, mm, who are you that you come to watch the opera? And I said, well, I'm with the Royal Ballet and I, if, you, if you have a rehearsal, I'd love to come and see what you and your colleagues are doing. Said, and you're the only person from the ballet that comes here. And I said, yes, and this is my wife Jacqueline. She's from Paris. 
oh my goodness, and she was so nice to us, you know. I remember in Traviata rehearsing Medea and when she was mm. murdering her children. I mean, oh. It was unbelievable. She was such an actress. With the opera, uh, I wasn't dancing because when we had a royal performance, they brought a principal from Royal Ballet to do my role, which made me furious. <laughs> but anyway, but then when I joined the company, which I joined seven months later, actually, we had tours with the opera around England to the few places where the whole opera could fit. There was an Australian dancer, Larry Hyder, he was called, and he was jealous of me, and so he said to Harold Turner, why does Robert always get to do the principal roles? And he said, because he can, but I can too. Why don't you give me an opportunity? And Harold looked at me and said, please, uh, please, come on, Larry, do it, please. And so he went on on the second night in Oxford, and I had to do a whole turning thing in the stage, jumping, turning and like this all the way around and then you finish with a flourish and, he, and so he had to do that. So he went jumping round, jumping round and he jumped over the end of the stage oh, no. and lasted, landed in the orchestra <laughs> and he smashed a, a, a cello. <laughs> oh my God. And so that was that. That was know. that. And then Harold said, well, now you know why I didn't have to let you dance. But you know, now you've cost the opera house a lot of money. We have to get the insurance to pay for all those instruments. You, you know, I'm sure he was hurt as well. Well, he wasn't funny. You know. No, of course not. He, all, he started to climb up. Ah, to come back. Yes, can you imagine? Yes. And, and, and then they brought the curtain down. Yeah. Because and they had to do something like that. It was horrendous, actually. <laughs> and so that was the end of poor Larry. <laughs> it was sorry for it. And then, of course, I did my first choreographies at the choreographic workshop that the Royal Ballet had. It was called the Sunday Ballet Club. And uh, one of the Sitwells, who was famous theatre family in England, was a chair and also a ballet critic. And so any aspirant from any company could come and do a trial ballet and we do performances at the Wyndham Theatre uh, on a Sunday when it was closed. And so I started doing ballets first when I was in the school and then when I was in the opera house I did too. And then uh, and Madame would come, Madame Duvalo would come and the critics would be there and in the intermission. I remember my first ballet I did to Litz Piano Concerto and I had, I think, 24 dancers and one of the girls, well, they were all Royal Ballet students or from the company and myself and I thought I'm going to be the principal dancer. I thought I have to be seen so I can be a principal quickly. I mean, I was so outrageous. <laughs> I, I wasn't too modest when I was getting to my career somehow, but I did. And Madame, Madame de Varro was there, and she said, uh, that, that, that was good, Warren, good, good. And I said, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> and then uh, Terry Martins, the critic of New York Times, was there, and he said, Robert, if you'd been in New York, you'd be famous tomorrow. Can you imagine? Yes. And all the English critics looked at him like <laughs> this. How could he be so effusive, you know? And then Clive Barnes was uh, at the Times oh in my. London at that yes. time. And he wrote, well, Robert de Warren is like a, a pilot on a, on a plane who's jumping with a parachute, except he doesn't have one. <laughs> but he still managed to land on his feet. Mm -hmm. But it was sort of to bring me down a peg or two because mm -hmm. he heard what Terry Martins was writing in the New York <laughs> Times. And so that was it, you know. And I, all the time, people were saying, well, Robert, good, now do something a little simpler. So I thought, well, my, my French the director did this Rococo thing. I'm going to create my own mm -hmm. because I didn't have enough actually knowledge of music and international knowledge of ballet and what company repertoires were and that. So I didn't have anything. I had to do from what came from my imagination. 
but I was never aware, and I certainly wasn't conscious of taking something that somebody had done. But I thought, this is a good theme, and he gave me nice things to do, but I can do better things. So mm -hmm. I recreated it, and one of the girls was Michael Soames, who was Margot, Margot Fontaine's partner in the Royal Ballet, and she was very nice, and I had two other girls, and so we did this, this pas de quatre, and it got very good write-ups. And said, in this ballet, Mr. De Warren is much more original. He's invented some surprising combinations, which I did. I mean, because the other one, I was being just so classical and neoclassical, all mixed up. But I remembered one time I had the leading dancer catching hands, and then it came to me afterwards. Somebody said, well, he's a little derivative. There's Giselle, you know, with, <laughs> going across the floor. And I thought, oh, my God, well, I had seen Giselle perhaps once. So it didn't, I didn't no, you see enough of that. And I thought, how can he be so rude? And I said to a friend, I said, well, Robert, you better go and see a lot of ballets. You know? And so I was very careful after that. And then when I joined the company, Duvalwa said to me, you know, in the company, you can't do solos before uh, three years. You can begin to do a part of Catra or a part of Cease, but a principal not until five years. And when I joined, I was already 24 because I'd started late, yes, you know. Yes, yes. And so I was 24 and this really upset me. But then she said one day, well, can you prepare a ballet? You can choose anybody you want from the company. They know that you're going to be uh, given this, this job. And so choose anybody you want but you must have 48 dancers in your production. Good grief. Because she wanted to see how I could manage groups. And you know that I chose everybody from the company and they were all so eager. And I, why are they eager? They don't know who I am. They were, but why? I'll tell you why. Because when I passed from the opera ballet into the company, I had to go to my first class in the whole company in this big studio. And when I got there, 10 minutes before, everybody was there. And I hear a voice, Robert, come over here and stand next to me. And I turned round and it was Dame Margot Fontaine. Oh my goodness. And I said, how does she know my name? Goncharov. Ah. You see, Goncharov had told her, one of my students is coming and you haven't seen him because she didn't come. She saw him privately if she did. And he's really talented. So she said, come and stand next to me. So I did the whole bar next to her and then the center. And then she said, don't go at the end of the class. Come, come. I want you to help me with something. And I said, yes, Dame Alicia. No, no, you're a dancer like I am, Margot and Robert, you know. So I want to practice my attitude from the Rosa Daggio, which is the balance with the four princes going round that she's on the one point and has to balance uh, without holding anybody. And so, it, and so she said, I want you to see my attitude, which is the name of this position when you have your leg at the back and you're holding the partner and the arm is up and the leg is doing the opposite of the arm. So you have to be on perfect balance and come down, you know, and she would do that. It's this hand actually, yes. And then this one goes up. No, no, it's that one, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Is it? No, it's this one. So you, you, he walks around and then she goes like this and then catches the other prince, so the four princes. And so I, I said, yes, but if you could get your knee a little bit more square, then it will give you a center of gravity, it will be easier to hold. And she just didn't say, yes, is that better now? And all of that. And then she said, thanks so much. I do appreciate it. And she went off and everybody was looking <laughs> at her. Well, they'd all gone. But when, when she said, Robert, could you stay and work with me a yes. moment? They all looked around like, who's this guy? You know? <laughs> and so it did cause a few ruffles, you know. And one of the ballet masters wasn't too kind to me. 
But next day, we were dancing a ballet, John Cranko's Lady and the Fool, which is based on a sort of opera scenario, and I forget what the music was, but it was very nice, and it was in John Cranko's style, which sometimes had, you know, feet going in and out and things like that, and da na 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 like a Charleston he was doing to, to make a caricature of, of uh, you know, somebody in, in an Italian opera. And he said, well, you have one rehearsal now, one hour to learn this ballet. And I learned it all. And then that night I went on and I danced. Mm -hmm. And he, they'd never seen that. But I was, I was so quick at learning. And so he said in front of the whole company, I just want to remark that Robert Warren learnt Lady and the Fool in one rehearsal and danced the whole ballet without a mistake. Can any of you do that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I thought, why does he say that? They're going to hate me even more. But when they saw that I was being pushed into choreography, they all thought, well, we must be in his good books. Yes, exactly. If he becomes a choreographer. And then I did the ballet, and we danced it on stage at the Royal Opera House, and there were only three people and myself in the stalls, Dame Ninette, who sat there, and Michael Wood and Michael Soames, that's right, who was her partner. And so they sat behind, and it finished that, and of course there was no applause, and they, they, I taught them how to do their co and the curtain came in, they opened the curtain, and she said, thank you all, you've really done it very well, thanks for helping me with this, now you can go and have a rest before the show. And so she said, Warren, come here. And I'd actually designed the ballet myself, so I brought the design. I just stood there and I said, yes, madam. She said, well, she said, uh, I'm interested in what I see. Uh, yes, yes, positive <laughs> things with the crowds there, you know. And what have you got in your hand? And I said, I, these are my designs for this. Oh, they're very modernistic. I think they'd be good for television. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, she doesn't like them because they were. I mean, I was going all sorts of... It was Manfred. I'd choreographed Manfred <laughs> to the Manfred Symphony. So I, I'd imagined, you know, Walter Scott's poems about these spirits that came out <laughs> from everywhere, of fire, of water, of the Alps, of this, Ooh. of the devil, mm -hmm. and Ahriman, this evil king. And I'd draw, drawn him in red <laughs> with this long, like a fish fin coming out of his head, you know, and he had these <laughs> funny sort of wings in his hands and on his ankles and things. I mean, I had this imagination. And that was it. And so then, next day, Michael Soames called Jacqueline on the phone at home while I'm at work. And here's Jacqueline, I must, because actually he'd already invited us to go and see Le Ballet de Paris that had come to London. And he said, oh, I'm going to see there because I'm friends with Roland Petit and Colette and, and his wife, Zizi Jean-Mer. Why don't you come with me? So I went, and then we went backstage and introduced me to them and all of that. And I thought, this is amazing. Why is he doing that? I was so naive. I didn't understand that they were grooming me, you know. And then Jacqueline said to me the next day, you know who telephoned me today? Who? Michael Soames. I said, really? What did he want? Because I knew he was a womanizer. I said, what did he want? And he said, no. He asked me, uh, that he that he he'd heard from Madam that she was looking forward to having you work more on the creative side of choreography and ballet master and all of that. How dare she say that? I have to dance all the principal roles before I can teach anybody else to do this work. And I was indignant, you know. And I said, I'm going to resign. I have to go somewhere because they told me I wouldn't be able to dance principal roles. So next, I went back and I did my work. And, and finally, Michael Wood knew the husband of the brother to my first, to my mother's first fiancé, who was, of course, a cousin to her, yeah. knew her sister, 
Lorna and, and Michael Wood and Lorna and her husband were very, very good friends. And her husband, when he killed in the, in the war, mm. and Michael still was married to this Jewish, very wealthy lady from the, the Sassoon family. And so she would come and film. She had all her equipment and film all the ballets at Royal Ballet, Mrs. Sassoon, you know, Mrs. Wood, actually. And so we had this connection that he told me about. And I thought, well, how can I, how can I have a connection with the director? <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. And then Madam says to me, and tell me, do you have any relatives in Ireland? I said, yes, of course. We come from Dulic County, Meath. Well, that's where I come from. <laughs> do you know Annie Warren? I said, yes, she's my grandmother. <laughs> oh, well, she's a friend of my parents. She said she was a friend of my father. I said, oh, Madam. Well, that's nice. I like that, you know. <laughs> well, are you, were you Huguenots? Because we dropped the de, and when I was going to be a dancer, I thought, well, I want to bring it back. Because a Robert Warren, there are thousands all over the place, <laughs> and a Robert Warren, a lot of my ancestors, but none in these generations now. So I, I registered again at Summer House, and they said, yes, you can do it because it's in your birth certificates and of your family, so you're entitled to use it. And, and I said, she said, oh, she said, well, you're clever because she is called Idris Stanis. That was her name. And she thought of the Royal House of France, the De Valois. So she called herself Ninette de Valois, the Royal House of France. And Robert de Ward, whose ancestor was married to William the Conqueror's daughter, you see. So we have all this stuff going on. And I thought, oh, my God, but I was so naive. And I said, but, madam, I can't really stop dancing and coach people if I don't do principles. Uh, roles and, and you, you've told me that I can't expect to do that for another year. Well, but I think you're clever enough to know what you have to do because she'd actually told Michael Soames and Antoinette Sibley, two of the principal dancers, to rehearse with me that I would rehearse them in the Black Swan Pas de Deux for a concert, not within the production. So there I was on the board. Uh, Sibley Soames de Warren, wow. Swan Lake Pad, Act 3 Pas de Deux. And everybody was reading it. Robert, what are you doing? I said, oh, no, they've asked me to do this. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what was happening. I was so naive, you know, and Jacqueline understood immediately, and I wouldn't listen to her. I was so stubborn. And in the end, I said, I'm resigning. And just then, we had a prima ballerina, Svetlana Beriosova, who was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Her father was the director of the ballet in Stuttgart, and he was in town. And Svetlana had said, well, Robert is very talented and he's leaving because he, he's not getting principal roles. Why don't you see him? So he auditioned me and said, yes, you've got the contract. So I went to Stuttgart as a principal dancer. And I danced in one year, Swan Lake, Nutcracker, and Sleeping Beauty, all in one year. And then John Cranko came and set a ballet. He created a ballet for me, and I danced another ballet. Oh, The Prince of the Pagodas, not the leading leading role, but the second leading role. And then he took over the company because Papa was invited by the Marquis de Cuevas to go, go and direct them in Paris because this guy called Rudolf Nureyev had arrived and he was dancing with the company. They wanted a Russian there. And so he went to to, New, to Paris for Rudolph, you see. And so in the summer holiday, 
uh, we talked on the way. He says, come to Paris. Jean Jacqueline, come to Paris. I'll introduce you to this man. You have to see him. So, so we were in Paris when Rudolf Nureyev did with the ballet of the Marquis de Cuevas his first Sleeping Beauty in the West. Oh and we were all speechless. And in the last act, having danced everything else, he did his variation, which I'd never seen danced with that elevation and the period and his presentations. You know, he came on stage and you were hypnotized by his personality. And the whole theater went mad. And he did this variation, having danced the whole ballet. And then he, he stopped the orchestra and says, Maestro, da capo, we do it again. And he went to the corner and he did the whole variation. The whole variation again. And the theater. And then after that, there was the reception in the foyer of the Champs-Élysées. And Papa said to us, we called him Papa. He said, come, be with me, be with me. I want you to meet Nureyev. And so we met him, you know. And it's funny, he, he looked at Jacqueline and then he looked a bit. He really looked like this. It wasn't, oh, hello, you know. Yes. No, he really looked. And, and he said, uh, he was my principal dancer in Stuttgart. And he looked like that. And then, of course, they came and that was it. I didn't see him again until I, I was in Iran. How did you wind up in Iran? Well, Beryosov went to the ballet in Paris and Kranko took over. So I did uh, one year with Kranko. And uh, because he had this boyfriend and everything was a bit over the top, I thought I must try and go to somewhere where it's more normal because I won't, I'm not getting what I deserve. So I auditioned for Tatiana Gzowski, who directed the Berlin and the Frankfurt the City Ballets, both companies. And I went to Frankfurt and auditioned, and her ballet master really liked what I did, and so he, they offered me a two-year contract. So I said, well, that's great, we have two years assured. So we moved to Frankfurt, and then when she wanted, uh, once she saw me and all of that, I would go to Berlin to do something sometimes. But mm -hmm. mostly I was in Frankfurt. And then she started creating roles because the repertoire was really all her works. And she was very modernistic. Her, her brother, Viktor Gzowski, was in Paris and he had a very famous studio where a lot of the stars of those days uh, were working. And, and she was in Berlin. And uh, she was a very eccentric lady as well, but she was uh, great. I mean, you know, I didn't understand her, unfortunately. Jacqueline did, but she never said anything, but she was a troublemaker, <laughs> you know. And so Joan Cadzo was an Australian dancer who really was a great prima ballerina. And so I had to dance. I was first classical dancer, and George Volk, who was German, was a solo dramatischer dancer. So I was Esther classical dancer, Esther a dramatischer dancer, you know, solo dancer. They called solo dancers the principal dancer in the German companies. I did with from a young ballerina from Teatro Colón that she'd met when she went to set something in Buenos Aires, she brought to, to Frankfurt and she was just 17 and she danced for the first time Black Swan with me on stage and now we still send emails on Facebook and things like that. But it was very good because I'd already danced Black Swan and I could teach it to her, which was very good for me to teach her how to dance Black Swan. But she knew the choreography basically and we did, we had big success. When, when Joan Katzen, she was the girlfriend of Bolk, 
So she said, oh, well, if they do that, we have to do Don Quixote, you know. But he couldn't do the variations. He could bluff them, but he was much too stout. And too, he was a very handsome man, but he was more dramatic in his gestures. So then she created Orpheus in Eurydice, and he was Orpheus with the lyre, and I was death, and death had to do everything <laughs> under the sun. So he was walking around and going through purgatory and all of that, you know. But I was the one that danced, and actually very quickly... You know, people would come and see me because they'd not seen a classical ballet like I was. And one thing that I learned in in, in Stuttgart, and then when I came uh, to Frankfurt, was to go to a gym because there they have weights and things. And I thought for myself, I've got to do something to get stronger and jump higher. In those days, we didn't have nobody in, in the ballet ever did anything with weights. I was the first one, and I'd go to the boxing club where the European lightweight champion boxer would train and they had the ring there and I would do my exercises I'd put weights they didn't have like now with velcro that you just got a weight with a hole and I had belts that I put around and tied them on my feet wow. and then I did exercises like this and they all looked at me they thought I was crazy and when I finished doing that then I got a dumbbell and I put like uh, four, 50 pounds to begin and I start rising on my insteps and then jumping wow. and like that I put ha up, to, up to 100 kilos 200 pounds okay. I would have on my shoulders and I would be jumping just in first position like this you know and then when I went on stage Black Swan that you come on ta yes, <laughs> I just flew up and all the athletes there said Ah, Robert, uh, we, we're coming to Opern House. You know, they say, we're coming to the Opera House to see you. They would ask me, they want to come and see me. And so they were my clock immediately. They would speak. And everybody got to know this guy who jumped out of the wings up there and then came down and landed on stage because I knew how to exploit what I could do, you know. And so the biggest split I could get was that. But when I was doing that, I could go. And then I taught myself to breathe in when I was up. I would go up. <gasps> and taking a breath just at the end so it just held me a moment uh -huh. you know and then I'd almost, come down uh, almost as though you're as if I was suspended. hovering yes. yes oh wow you get to give that idea and it only comes when your legs are so strong yes. because I'd seen Jean Babillet a French dancer who had enormous Ballon, but he had thighs like that, and mine have always been very long. So I had the strength, and everybody said, how do you jump so long? And I would start to say, well, I work in the sports club and that, but I didn't want to tell people, I thought. And then afterwards, when I began to teach and that, then I told people. And I think it all came from that, the same as in sports, because, you know, I went, when I, then, after the second year, I could hardly walk because I didn't know, but I was born with many sesamoid bones under the toe joints. Usually you have three or four, but I had 12 or 13, and from jumping, they split. They're like little lentils, and they would, the little point, the sharp wood edge would go into <gasps> my toe joints. And I didn't know what it was, and I went to a doctor there, uh, orthopedic, and he said, well, I think you have beginnings of arthritis. I'm going to give you a cortisone injection. Once a month we can do. You must 
doesn't do more than once a month. So it took away the pain and the information, and I could dance for another month, and it was coming back. Wow. By the end of the second year, I really had trouble. And I, and, and I said, I resigned. I wrote to, to Madam, and I said, I'm doing all these roles. You think I may rejoin Royal Ballet now to show you that I am a principal dancer? Yes, of course you can. Come and audition you. I'll ask you to do class with the Sadler's Wells Ballet. It's in the touring company because they'd become the Royal Ballet and Sadler's Wells Ballet was the touring part of the Royal Ballet. Now it's resident in Birmingham and it's the Royal Birmingham Ballet or the Birmingham Royal Ballet. But in that time it was the touring. And uh, John Field, who was a principal dancer in Royal and danced with Margot and all the ballerinas as well, was the director of the touring company. So he'd go and do class with John Field and then I'll let you know what happened. So I thought, how am I going to do class with all this pain? But I brought an injection with me from, from Germany and I went to a hospital. I said, I need this injection. This is the prescription from my doctor. So they injected it. And then uh, a week later, I went to do the, the audition. And, and they hadn't seen me. A lot of the dancers were in school with me and that. And they hadn't seen me dancing. And so, you know, when I went to jump, I did all these jumps. And I went up and I had my Russian style. Every, it was, you know, so un-English in a way, so unroyal. And they said, Robert, we're going to what? do it once more. We all want to see you. And I just went and I jumped as high as I could. And when I came down, I knew. I didn't feel that anything cracked, but I really, I could feel my feet. And I thought, I, I, well, I'm, I've got to get out of here. So I thanked them all and went, and Jacqueline, we ran away. And then I went, finally, I, uh, it, it took me, we went back to England. Uh, well, I was in England, I'd done that. So I said, we have to find we have to find an orthopedic surgeon that understands what I have. And this lady in that picture there, the, 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 mm -hmm. the, uh, the Persian frame, she's an American who was married to an English nobleman, you know, millionaire American who married yes, 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 the yes. poor titled yes, Englishman, right. Welsh Lady Evans, and she was very sweet. And, and she actually, we'd met her when I came because she had, she volunteered to receive students that got grants from the British Council, and when I came to the Royal Ballet, she said, well, I want to meet the ballet dancers and the artist that has come from Trinidad. So at the same dinner in her house was, was I and this black artist from Trinidad, you know, you know, from Jamaica. He was British, but he was from Jamaica. And, and we became her protégés, and so she always asked us to come, and then she became so friendly with Jacqueline and I, she introduced her to her niece, and she asked Jacqueline if she could get private lessons to the niece while I was working in the company, because Jacqueline wasn't at the level for royal, so she was a bit depressed, but she was going to uh, educational arts where I was and doing her lessons there. And then I would rush to Goncharovas as totally as often as I could. So anyway, so then when we came to Stuttgart and that happened, Jacqueline was invited to dance in the television and she did Firebird on German television and things like that, but she wasn't in the company mm -hmm. because she was just not ready for it, you know. And then when I couldn't dance, she said, well, I'm not dancing anymore. I'm going to hear, be here to back you up. And then finally I met uh, a surgeon. Well, I saw one surgeon who was the one at Royal Ballet and he said, well, let me take a look at this. And he looked at it in the X's and that, well, I'm sorry, I've got to tell you straight out, you're never going to dance again, so you better find something else to do. Mm. And like that, and I just, and so we went home 
and Jacqueline didn't know, but I took a whole bottle of sleeping pills. I oh, thought, oh. I don't want to go on living. And then she saw me like that, and she said, what did you do? What did you do? I said, I don't want to live anymore. Shut up. She called a taxi, and the taxi man, she had him come upstairs, you know, and he came upstairs and held me down, and she took me to the hospital at Hyde Park Corner and said, my husband's taken an overdose. So they washed me out and all of that, and next morning I woke up there, and uh, and I was myself, and you know they were going to they were going to you have to they have to do some sort of police record of yes, this thing, yes. and they said uh, how are you feeling? I said I'm awfully sorry. I think I just lost my calm. Was I really going to go? Well, you weren't really going to go, but the thought is there. Can you swear to us that you're never going to do this again? And I said, I swear, because I realized this morning how idiotic I was and how much more I have to do in my career. And Jacqueline was there, and, and she said to them, you know, Royal Ballet, they want to train him to be the director of the Royal Ballet, so please can you help us? I said, very well. Promise us you won't do anything again and go home. And so I went home, and nobody ever knew about it, you know, until, until you know, I finally went back to Royal, well, actually there, when I, it would take me, I didn't have, I didn't have income anymore, but Mary Stewart said, Robert, I'm going to help you, and she just forced into my hand 500 pounds, which is a lot of money in those yeah. days, and I said, well, this is a loan, she said, I don't give loans, you are like my children, both of you, I have no children of my own, her one son was killed in the war, you know, in the First World War, where my, where my father was wounded, actually, as well. And she never recovered from that. She never recovered. And then I went back to Madam, and I said, Madam, this is happening to me. And all, well, I have just what you have to do. The Shah was at a royal gala the other day at the palace, at the opera house, and I was there, actually. And I was on the stage. Yeah, that's right. And, and the Shah had said hello to everybody, and he came round then to the second line where all the men, and I shook hands with him, so I'd met him. He said, the Shah wants me to send somebody to take over the National Ballet of Iran and bring it into a really professional level. So I'm sending you and Jacqueline, and Jacqueline can be your ballet mistress there, so she has her job to do, and you'll be the, the resident uh, choreographer ballet master, because the founder of that, whether we like it or not, is the artistic director, and he's Persian, and his wife is the prima ballerina, <laughs> so be careful. You know? And I thought, oh my God. Yeah. So I said, well, my mother-in-law is here. She'll have to come with us. I'm going to ask her because I can't send her back. She's only been here a month <laughs> to visit us. And said, well, you'll work it out what you want to do, but that's what you've got. And so I worked it out, and I said to Madame Rousseau, we're going to Tehran. Would you like to come to us? To Tehran? Well, yes, why not? That would be quite <laughs> extraordinary. So we got all our things together and we went off to, to Tehran. And we arrive at Tehran and they meet me at the airport and uh, we're taken by taxi with our luggage and everything into a residence. And it's a residence owned by a Russian, actually. <laughs> so it's like a Russian family house, you know. And it's a big mansion, actually, with this long table where about 20 people can sit and so many rooms and things. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. It's like a Tolstoy palace or something. <laughs> anyway, we were there for a time until we could find an apartment. And then we went to the ballet school. And it was, well, it wasn't much of a school because it was in a building that wasn't didn't have proper studios it had sort of a big big living room and another big big would have been a dining room and this and that but that was the ballet school there they were building the opera house 
And uh, so I started, we started to work. And so Jacqueline took over the senior class in the Barry School. And then when I needed her, she would take uh, rehearsals or work with me. And I took over the company teaching and everything. And the prima ballerina was the wife. Well, she was very... Uh, how can I say, not too tall and very athletic. And she was more like, and her mother was Russian, so she was more a sort of character Russian dancer than a prima ballerina. But she did point work, and so I thought, well, I've got to make it do. Mm -hmm. So then I thought John Cranko's Lady and the Fool is stuck in my mind. The ballerina is masked and all of that, so why don't I put Aida not as the ballerina, but as the clown that everybody takes pity on. And she didn't mind it, you know. Uh, she was the short boy and the tall boy <laughs> was the clown and she was amazing she brought the house down and then next time when I did the firebird I did the firebird for her but in that same program I did La Périe. La Périe is a Persian fairy but it's the story of, of, um, of the Greek mythology that the flower of life is, is, is held by this extraordinary bird you know and he must and Iskander, who is, uh, Iskander is Alexander the Great, was in Greece or in Persia, and he discovers this extraordinary bird holding this flower, but the flower is the secret of eternal life. So he contri contrives to steal the flower from her, but he dances with her and sort of gives the flower with her and that, and then the end of the powder, he takes it away, and then she begins to die, and he picks her up and all of that, and then in the end he takes pity on her and he gives it's her back the flower. Ah, yes, so it's a beautiful and the Duca, uh, this French composer wrote La Pédie and I thought well we don't have Persian composers I know yet but if I bring La Pédie and it's a Persian tale then that's good and so the, the, they were very pleased with that but we had to do it in this small theatre they had with a very bad stage and then the Iran America Society had a sort of amphitheater with a stage, a tiny, a sort of little opera house, and we did performances there. So I, I created performances that could fit between that. In the meantime, the Minister of Arts and Culture, who was a brother-in-law, he was married to the Shah's elder sister. So he was, you know, a personality in Tehran, and he was a real gent. He spoke perfect English. And from the beginning, you know, he said, Mr. Warren, I can't tell you how important it is for us to have you and Mrs. Warren here. And he said, do you have a picture of either of you? And we had the one of Jacqueline and the Firebird, and that jump. And I said to him, well, these are two pictures of us. He said, leave them with me. They're going to be in the ballet studios where you work. The image for our young dancers to try to reach. Wow. And he was so supportive and we became very good friends. So he saw the first performances, but he wouldn't ask the Shah to come to our performances there. But, you know, one day they would say, well, could you do something in the royal palace? Because the Shah is receiving uh, the president of France, for example, and we want to show something. And they had this beautiful, enormous oval room which, with a sink, sunken middle in an oval. And all around was like as wide as this room, a little wider all the way. So there was a raised... Uh, platform all around and then they had Le Corbusier's famous chairs that were like a cone you know mm -hmm. like this all sitting there with the, <laughs> the, 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 the table and a beautiful Ronson gold 
lighter there for the cigarettes and things. And so after the banquets, they'd come in there and we'd have Persian musicians with their old instruments in costumes sitting on cushions and then the dancers, I'd set something for them. And they really started to like what we did and I researched there all the miniatures I could find and the court dances and in, I started research with the ballet of, of the court things that could be used in small performances. And they'd done some previously but they were done by Neela Cram Cooks, was an American who was there before, who started actually the first ballet works in, in Iran. Wow. And then she brought, you know, she used Western composers, Beethoven, Rimsky, Korsakov, all of these, uh, and, and tried to create sort of Persian stories with classical music. But of course, she wasn't a really great choreographer, so it was more like court entertainment. But she did bring with her enormous trunks that opened like that, with all sorts of materials and crystals for embroidery and crowns and everything you can think of. I mean, she brought the whole of Hollywood there, you know, <laughs> and for years, we used what she brought with with her, you know. So, how long were you there? It started with three years. After ah. three years, Madam said, you come back, you'll have gained experience, you would have helped in finishing the opera house and giving them all the advice they need for the state managers, the lighting designers and all of that, because I'd done all of that with my own ballet. Yes. So she thought, you know, that's the best way for me to spread my wings. And so I, I had three years and then... I, I'm just curious. How are your feet? Oh, my feet after the surgery, within six months, I was doing many pirouettes because he'd taken out all the, the, the these little, little bones. bones. Yes, Donald Brooks, he'd taken out all the bones. The next day after surgery, he came into the ward where I was. He said, come now, we're going for a walk. And he said, you see how you can walk? And I could. And he said, don't start doing any ballet, but just do exercises for your ankles and your toes, but don't put weight jumping or not, anything not like that let it heal after two weeks come and see me and then after that we'll decide so i went back after two weeks he was really pleased he said you can come back in six weeks and then in in three months i was doing ballet class and then and i was working at the arts council because they i had to earn my some money and so the the arts council uh the british council talked to the arts council and said, this is a scholar of ours and he has this problem, can you do something for him? And they said, oh, he can go and work at the arts council right. in London. So I was right. in the in the publications department, so I saw all the catalogues of every painter and artist that went through the Arts Council, and I was also in charge of calling the press and setting the appointments for the director of the publications department, so I, I learned a lot about art during... I worked there for almost two years, actually. Wow. Until and th I this predates Iran? Predates yeah. Iran, yes. Okay, so you did your three years, and what happened? Well, when I was getting to the end of the three years, they, they asked me to go on a travel to Kurdistan, where the Kurds are, the tribal, the Kurdish tribal tribes in Iran. And so they sent me with an equipment, a cameraman, a photographer, a manager, and we went in two vehicles, and I took two dancers with me and myself, and then the handyman from the organization they were going to organize, because there was uh, a, an office at the Ministry of Culture that brought in small groups of ethnic 
tribal dancers to the city and they performed at different events, but not a big organization. But they were wanted to see if it was justified to open the National Folklore Institute that would cover not only folklore and ethnic, but court dances and mystic ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, circumcision ceremony, all the things that had to do with dance in life in Iran. So they were thinking of that, you see, and so they wanted to know if they if I was the one. And I think the Shah already, because whenever he saw me, and tell me, Mr. Duan, what do you think? Because he'd asked me at the inauguration of the Opera House, when, he, you know, there was opera, there was ballet, and I'd done something for that performance. And when I was introduced to him, presented to him and the Empress, uh, he, the wife, the, the lady ballerina was there, and I was next to her. Her husband was sort of introducing people. And the Shah thought so, Yes, so you are from Royal Ballet. Says, I admire very much the Royal Ballet. And Madame de Valois is a very strong director. You're very lucky to have her. And the Empress was very inexperienced yet, but she was very charming. And she said, you know, Mr. Dewar, can you think about using Iranian themes and music? Put that in your mind, at the back of your mind, and see when you can bring these things in. And I immediately started. And so that's why I did La Périe, because I wanted him to see a Persian thing, you know. And then I started really, I went to the British Council where my my letter, my mail would go to their post office box and they were very good because I'd been a British Council, you know, honoree. And so we got on very well with the British Council and I asked them for books and things and then I became friends with the representative, the director of the British Council. So he could advise me and I met the ambassadors anyway and he was very charming and his wife. And so they had rather took me under their wing, you know, and so... Uh, we, every now and then they'd invite me to dinner at the embassy and talk about things because, of course, he was the ambassador, you know, representing England. He wanted to know that we were all in cahoots in a way. Yeah. And he was very honest and very nice. And during his during his ambassadorship, I mean, there were no problems. But the moment uh, the foreign office did, were told, you have to bring somebody who's going to challenge the Shah not to nationalize the oil, and, and forgetting that he's the emperor, you know, he's been, when, by that time, when I went, he'd been, uh, he'd been emperor for 20 years, yes. <laughs> so he wasn't, a, and he'd already nationalized the oil, so they were trying to find a way to get more graces with, with Britain and with the American embassy, yes, yes, which yes. was, that was the worst thing. That's why we have this Middle East now, right. because they, they just ruined the whole thing. Anyway, so there we are. And then uh, when I came back, I mean, I was absolutely entranced by the tribes. And the way they received me, they were such nice people. And Persians of all levels have a certain code of ethics. And they all know it, even the most simple man in the street. Ah, they will say, Salam Aleikum, and go like that. And then, I hope your health is good. May God keep you. And, you know, things like that. So ceremonial. I mean, it's an ancient civilization. And I was enthralled by that and when the tribal dancers were dancing usually the men would be apart from the women depending on the tribe the Kurds dance men and women together others the Islamic thing was a little more severe but the Kurds were very strong people and it was a mountainous culture so they were not like the ocean or seaside people which are a little more sensually relaxed the Gilanis all the people on the coast were much more they were rather military and mountain people a bit drier but somehow you know I met the the chief of the clan in in the town of uh, uh, Sanandaj, uh, which was the center of one of the parts of Kurdistan. 
and I was invited to dinner to his house. And the, the Persians on, the, on my group said, Rob, be very careful, be very respectful. Don't look at the women too much because they might get upset and all of that. And so I met this tribal chieftain and he said, ah, oh, he said, you are going to be my brother, he said. And he shook my hand and <laughs> took me by the shoulder. Come over here, let's sit down. And he actually had chairs and he had this long table that they put under a sort of canopy in the garden and the garden was just as I imagined we went went into these oak doors with these great brass knobs and there was this long you know tile lake that went on like a waterfall little steps and and there were little jets of water coming out of these lovely marble flowers I mean it was amazing and the flowers around it was a Persian garden I I mean I'd seen glimpses in Tehran but everybody has high walls so you can't see in and I was in love with this culture and this city and so we spent I think two weeks there we traveled to different parts and I met different tribes and each tribe have their own family colors that all their clothes uh, are within that palette, you know. And the other family, the other Sanjabi would be all in greens and yellows and oranges and the first one wearing blues and violets and cyclamens and black, you know. And it was just amazing to see. And the women then put on their clothes for the wedding ceremony and so they had all these gold coins hanging from their turbots and here they'd have like four or five chains of gold coins or turquoise cook I mean you can't imagine <laughs> how many thousands of dollars they had on themselves you know? and they had these belts with these clutches all full of stuff I mean I never, it was like a thousand night one nights you know and I just fell in love. So when I got back, I said to the minister, can I give up the ballet and do that? He said, I was hoping you'd say that. Well, I know that His Majesty wants us to do that. So I, yes, please, find somebody for the ballet. I'll go on helping until you get a replacement, and then I'll move over to do this full-time, because I really would love to do that. And I did, most sincerely. And so they set up the whole organization. We didn't have our own constructed building, but they took over this. uh, It was four floors, you know. And and the ground floor, we had a fairly large studio, perhaps about three sizes my living room, not large enough, but anyway. And on the second floor, we had the whole house... For, which was the whole floor. They'd taken out the walls and they'd set, the building was very well built so we could have sprung floors there. And we had mirrors and things. So Jacqueline and I moved in there. And uh, the, the Persian director was uh, Mr. Mobashidi and he had done all, he administered all the tribal groups that came to perform on behalf of the ministry. And so he said to me, you'll be visiting the places where these groups come from and we'll send you with a crew and you film and you talk to them and you, and you live with them for at least a week at a time. Sometimes I think it should be two weeks because you have to notate all their ceremonial and they'll invite you to weddings and to uh, whatever they think that you can look at they'll invite you wow and so sometimes like in Kurdistan I mean I never thought they said you tonight you're going to a secret service these are the the Sufis the Sufis that have a night ceremonial in which they do things to rhythm and music and percussion until they get into a trance and then they do their ceremonial in a trance and then you begin to hear the poet recite the Masnavi which is the spiritual poets of Sufis of uh, you know Jalaleddin Rumi who is the most famous in the world I mean in America there are many of, the, many of these Sufi groups that mm-hmm. Americans go to they love them and, and so they took me at night it was dark 
and I thought, my God, and we were all in these little back streets with mud walls everywhere, you know, we had to carry a lamp with us. And then we get to this mosque, and there's a lamp outside, and they said, well, you come in, you have to take your shoes out. So we, all, so we went in, and we took our shoes off, and then we went into the room. And I it would all be in sort of dark, very little light. No, bright light, bright green walls, the emblem of Islam. And on the walls, there were these shields, you know, of different shapes, and then swords, and then daggers, different daggers, all stuck in the frame, like this, all over the place, and then over on one side, a big table with a hundred glasses, tea glasses, and this big samovar with the steam come out, and the big teapot, and all of that, and so they said, well, now you know you have to sit down on a cushion, cross legs, and you mustn't ever show your feet, so you must sit with them behind you. It's rude to show one's feet. Really? Yes. So, you know, I took off my shoes, so I was sitting with my feet underneath me like this. And immediately a man with a turban came and said, and he bowed and handed me this little glass of tea. And it had a silver holder with a, with a handle, so you can hold it without burning. Can you imagine coming from the Pampas in Argentina to the Royal Bank of Canada, to the opera and the ballet, and then suddenly land in, a, in the most developed East, Middle Eastern country of the world at that time? Because the Shah, the Shahs go back millennia, you know, the different Shahs of Iran. Darius the Great was the biggest Shah of Iran in the, it was what, in the before, 600 before D.C., A.D., yes, 600 A.D. So were you recording these ceremonies? Yes, we were recording them, and they would send me with a, a man with a camera from the film department, and then we didn't have cameras. But the first holiday I went back to England, I bought myself a little Super 8 camera. They'd just come out, because yes. they, in, before it didn't exist to film these things. That's why I have no films of myself dancing, because it wasn't done, you know. Oh. So I know. And so I had my little Super 8, and then they sent as often as they could, they would send me a cameraman to come with our group. But many times, and every summer I went, I brought a newer bottle to, so we could go on filming ourselves. So that was a way that I was sure that I could have all the material. And so I did that, of course. And then we created, once we got back, we taught the dancers what we were doing. And then we also, I, one of my students would notate everything in Farsi. Wow. And in my book, I'd write down in English with all my, my sketches and my things so that I would have something to show and I know I have someone somewhere but uh, we'll look at it later and so that's how we brought back all the material and then little by little I started to build the first program I built was the Kurdish one and the designer that was a, a Persian artist Roma Partovi, wonderful designer lady and she just knew the colors of everything and if you look at my website you'll see under the Iranian experience you'll see the pictures of those ballets yeah and uh, and so so we did the first one and we did it at the opera house because i'd already you know helped with finishing the opera house and we had the ballet had a very big studio in the opera so before i left i left the ballet in this enormous studio and then there was a smaller one uh, for the small rehearsals soloist rehearsals and the school stayed in the other building but the company had really a beautiful studio and it was really great you know so we, we really launched everything, and I remember, and, and last year, just before Irma, 
uh, BBC called me from London. He said, Mr. Duarn, we understand that you were there at the, reha- at the inauguration of the Opera House in Tehran. It's 50 years. We want to send a team to talk to you and film you. And you're going to be interviewed, and then the Empress is going to be interviewed, and one of the ballerinas. And so they came here in this room, and when they saw all of this, they started shooting everything because they had yes. their cameras, and he copied my whole Persian file. I'd given him DVDs with what I'd chosen. He said, well, could I download just directly into my into my iPhone and yeah, when I realized my whole Iranian iPhone he took everything so he has it all wow. but they did the one Persian which went on and they got out from Irma in the after they came arrived at nine in the morning and they left at three in the afternoon on the car driving north as soon as they can <laughs> to get away mm-hmm. so they called me from from Atlanta the first time non-stop and we set up set down everything for the for the for the hurricane that came but of course in ter- in sarasota it goes by yes, and we right. were saved you know it's, right, right, it happens right, right. every time mm-hmm. the indians say that that they did it that it, that they knew they would do their cemeteries here because the the wind will go past the cemetery yes, yes, and yes, it yes, still yes. does yes it yes, hasn't yes. been a direct hit to to this city for over 80 years Can i know i know mm. all right so why did you leave? Well, I, well, I stayed. I stayed until seventy-seven I, because they renewed me, and I stayed for ten years. Wow! For eleven years, and then you know, I we were well, we toured America. We went to Pakistan. We went all over the world with with the company that I created in yes. this organization. And every year, I went three times on tour to do the filming and everything of different things. And then I researched the libraries in every palace and. In in Tehran as well, uh, of the documents of the books with all the miniatures so I could see the flow of the movement of the court dances because they pretty well disappeared in the court because every dynasty, the new emperor lived in a different palace and so he brought his tribe. So it all it all derived from his culture. So every every few years the dynasties were different. And know? it would disappear. And it would disappear. So I'm thinking, I remember you told me that when uh, the Shah left... And Khomeini took over, he got rid of everything. So are you saying that you have, that what you took is all there is that Basically, culture? yes, because when I left, I want I had prepared a book, the duplicates of everything that was in the files. Of my files, I, I had. And the day before I left, I went to get it out of my office, which I'd locked, and the lock was locked, but I opened it, and somebody had got been in and taken my book, which was that thick. Oh, my. And I, and I was so proud, and I didn't dare, I didn't say anything. I just complained to the director, Janet, said, why is my book stolen from me? This is a copy. You have everything here. Why did somebody have to steal? And I knew who it was. It was the assistant who was the person that did the administration when we went, but he was also there to spy on me, you know, and so he took it away. But then the next year, I got a call from the minister saying, Mr. Duarn, can you come back and do the, the summer palace performance that you do every year because the man we brought in he's a Persian and he doesn't know what he's doing and I said okay and so Jacqueline and I flew there and we saw what he'd done and I adapted it more or less into a new performance and then the man that was my spy said well Mr. Duarte you can take this I'm sorry it was taken by mistake and I just wanted to I said I don't need it I have everything and Jacqueline why are you so stupid you don't have it you should have taken it so just I was like that you know and so I only have 
two or three. And in my book, I've set out in detail how we did the research in Kurdistan and then the other one in the medieval city of Shustar. And I have the complete wedding of Shustar, which is absolutely incredible. We did it on stage, but I don't have the films of that. So my dancers now are helping me from wherever they are, you know, trying to put together these things. And I have a, a young girl, person I met here, she's half my age, but she's very clever. And she's studying medicine at Harvard, but she's also, she started before that because she was teaching in a school and, and she was teaching the arts. And, and then she, she, for some reason, I don't know, she just fell out with the school, but she'd already created her own Persian uh, fundraiser charity, 501c3, and she'd invited us to go to two lectures, one in San Francisco and one in Cambridge. Next week, the third part of my interview with Robert Warren begins with his exit from Iran as that country, which he described as the most developed Eastern country in the world, descends into chaos. It is a first-person account of a very important historical event, and it goes on to describe his glittering experience as the artistic director of La Scala. Don't miss it.